Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Bobby Flint. I'm Maggie Flint. I'm Josie Flint. We are here to tell you that the Original Cast now has merchandise available for sale at bit.ly slash original cast store. There are t-shirts, tote bags, manic stickers, and coffee mugs. So get yourself, I can't, I have rehearsal t-shirt. Get a tote bag. I have a standard logo. Or a heretofore never seen alternative logo. Get a baseball shirt. Why a baseball shirt? Too bad. <laughs> Copy mugs. Please buy something. Because our dad is in the arts. Because our dad is in the arts. It gets cold at night. Cold at night. And we're hungry and cold. And adorable. Bit.ly slash original caster. Please buy things and support our dad. I have to say something more else. What do you want to say? I can't. I have a song. Why are you <laughs> doing this to me? Need a little Christmas Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Kit Lavoie. I'm guessing. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. But thank you so much for being a patron of the original cast and for supporting the art and the podcast that you love, which are free, but you felt you needed to pay for it. And I really, really appreciate that. And I also want to say that you joined at an amazing time here because this is our year of sequels and biopics over at the original cast at the movies. And if you become a patron at patreon.com slash original cast, pod you gain access to the original cast of the movies we're talking about sequels like funny lady we're talking about biopics like funny lady but also amadeus and judy and lady sings the blues and 24-hour party people which will be our movie in may this month in uh, april it's our sequel to (laughs) saturday night fever i bet you didn't know there was a sequel to saturday night fever staying alive from 1983 and we'll be talking about that with aaron j albano and kenny neal so head on over to patreon.com slash original cast pod, become a patron, gain access to the original cast of the movies, and support the podcast you love so much. All right, here's the show. It's like the debates we see online about whether or not Lin-Manuel Merelda... Yeah. It's like the debates we see online about whether Lin-Man... Uh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to stare off into the middle distance and I'm going to say his name because I can't get his name wrong. That would be bonkers. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a poet. Like, for real. But she used to be a dancer. It's all kinds of stuff. We're getting into all kinds of different arts here tonight. It's Sophie Klar, everybody. Hello. How are you? I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. Now, at this point, it's safe. I've started the recording. I can sufficiently tell you I'm super excited to talk to you about poetry a little bit. um, Because it's a fascinating subject for me that I know nothing about. And that's my favorite kind of thing. So... (laughs) But mainly, you're here to talk about... Parade. I go to fight for these old hills behind me. These old red hills of home. 
Not a dance show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I never thought. I never thought. Maybe there's some high kicks that I don't know about. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a few tunes in here you could you could bop to if you wanted to in the first act, early in the first act. Um, there's probably a cakewalk in here somewhere. Like, there's, yeah. really, right? There's gotta be an ironic cakewalk. Uh, but so I'll ask you, as I ask everyone, how did parade come into your life? Well like any good American musical theater kid coming up in the late nineties and early aughts. Sure. I was obsessed with Jason Robert Brown, but more like the songs of Jason Robert Brown, which is very different than being obsessed with the shows. Of sure. Jason mm-hmm. Robert. So I would say that actually, um, I mean, I had like the hits, <laughs> but, mm. I, but I'd never like been with the show as a whole, as its whole body itself until a couple years ago when I was doing, um, I was in a small college town at a residency where I had a, a lovely house and it was winter and I didn't know anybody. And I was supposed to be working on a book that wasn't going well. And I was losing my mind and basically just looking out the window at thousands of feet of snow and listening every single night to either all of the bridges of Madison County or all of parade. (laughs) It was a long winter. I was just like, I'm going to go depart into somebody else's tragedy for a while. Sure. Sure. That's, that is very fair. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean, because this show is uh, a tragedy um, of the of the sort of old school tragedy, uh, but also a true story, which makes it extra super duper tragic. Um, This is one of the shows I may have told this story before that my. Every now and again, I will tell my dad about a musical and he he will just like not believe me. So the first one of those was Pacific Overtures when I was like, there's a musical about Admiral Perry going to Japan. And he's like, no, it's not, it's not a musical, but not a Broadway musical. You mean like a TV show history music? I was like, no, no, it's a real Broadway musical. That was the first one. And the second one was when I was reading some book about Leo Frank. He's like, why are you reading that? I was like, oh, I just heard this musical about him and I wanted to check this out. And he's like, there's a musical about Leo Frank. I was like, yo, yes, sir. Yes, sir. There is. Um, and I think we have covered this before, but I do want to do a quick. Could you think you could give the folks a quick parade synopsis? Uh, as I think it will color our. It's sort of essential to know the dark ins and outs of this show before you yeah. listen to a conversation about it. Oh, okay. Yes. Let's see. Um, so, yes, based on real life events in Atlanta in the wake of the Civil War, um, a young. Jewish northerner named Leo Frank, who is the superintendent of a pencil factory, is accused of murdering a 13-year-old girl, also a factory worker, named Mary Fagan. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't go well. No. (laughs) (laughs) And shockingly, it only gets worse from there. Uh, Yes, he that is an excellent synopsis. He is he is accused, he is convicted, he is sentenced to death, his tr- then his sentence is commuted and then he is lynched. 
I feel like we have to take this like all the way <laughs> to the end for folks yeah. to know this doesn't have a happy ending because yeah. it is really, it is at its heart though, as I picture you listening to this, staring out over the snow with a gramophone for some reason, even though I know that's like, it was an iPod. I know that <laughs> or a phone. Um, it is a, having said all that gang, if you've never heard parade, it is a very romantic musical because the crux of the story is actually between Leo and uh, his wife um, played by Carolee Carmelo. And she, their relationship, which is not great at the beginning of the show, kind of flourishing under this extreme tragic circumstance um, in a, in a moment of like terrible irony, you know, for. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's such a complicated show. I mean, just the fact of how he is found guilty. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the corrupt the corrupt politics, the socioeconomic climate, the media frenzy, the grief filled fueled xenophobia of the general population. It's like, <clears throat> and just the in the 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 fact of the wake of the civil war is so important and and Atlanta itself being this major character mm-hmm. in the show is also so um it's so compelling and that that's it's so weird i think on on like the posters and the playbills it was like parade a true story a love yes. story yeah. the musical well, I don't know how you sell this show. I like in initial, like obviously now it sells itself because it exists. It's been done. It won Tony Awards. People know mm-hmm. of it. It has pedigree. Jason Robert Brown's a person, you know. But yeah, and I don't know how you sell this jumping as a jumping off point because even like the title is very deceptive. Yeah. It's yeah. a very like 1950s musical title. You put an exclamation point after that thing and Gwen Verdon on the poster and we are on our <laughs> way. You know what I mean? Like if I told you there was a musical in the 50s called Parade directed by George Abbott starring Gwen Verdon, you would believe me because why wouldn't there be? Yeah, absolutely. But There's this is, is, yeah. And this uses, and the parade, which also I have to say, like this took a long time for me to figure out like as a kid listening to it. Um, well, kid, I was like 18, but even so. Um the idea that like the parade in question is the Memorial Day parade, but not the Memorial Day parade that you are thinking of. It's the Civil War su- uh, Southern Confederate Memorial Day parade. Right. And the image on the poster that you've probably seen of, of Leo Frank looking out the window at the parade going by is, is sort of his. They're using the parade kind of as a metaphor for the past and his outsiderness, because one of the reasons they're able to, to, to get some plausible deniability about the fact that he maybe did this is that the murder happens during the parade and he's not there, which is conspicuous. So there's a sort of like question, like what, what was he doing? And, you know, it also, it, it, you know, we also believe, I should say, just before we get around, he didn't do it. That's sort of at least certainly the show thinks that nobody else, nobody thinks he did this in history either. Um, this was a frame up from top to bottom. Uh, yeah, and... he gets. I read he gets posthumously pardoned in like yes. the eighties. Yes, but and not... he's buried in Brooklyn. They took his body from Georgia to Brooklyn. There's some really? great stories of wow. Jason Robert Brown has of going to visit his grave with Alfred Urey, who wrote the book. Um, and what a powerful sort of mm. moment that was for for him. Um, because mm. this is also 
spoiler alert, Jason Robert Brown's first Broadway show. And it's great. Isn't that bananas? It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. It doesn't start with like a light musical comedy. <laughs> not that he's ever really written one. I mean, I guess 13 is kind of a musical, but like he, he's not yeah. really a musical comedy kind of guy in that sense. He, he writes, you know, big, important shows. And I guess Honeymoon in Vegas. Actually, the more I say this, the more I'm like, I think I'm wrong. Urban Cowboy. <laughs> Never mind. I retract everything I just said. Uh, but, yeah, it's so yeah. crazy. It's so crazy. I know that Sondheim was attached to the to to the first um, yes iteration, and then he was like, mm, "I just wrote Passions. I'm tired." Yeah, it's heavy. I mean, it's a super <laughs> like. I don't think, you know, like there are there are musicals out there that deal with some dark stuff, and mm-hmm. like Sweeney Todd is a dark show. Like the body count at Sweeney Todd's hilarious, but yeah. <laughs> it's a hilarious show. Like it's also dark, comedic, gothic horror. But like the the tone of it, yeah, yeah. suits the atrocity. But like yeah. this, I put more in the level of another show that takes place in the South, uh, Bright Star, mm. which is the musical Steve Martin wrote. I don't know if you're familiar with with Bright Star. No. Wow, Steve Martin. Is it like a banjo musical? It is a banjo musical. So it's yeah, Steve Martin, Martin, and uh, Edie Brickell wrote the score. Um, and it debuted on Broadway in like 2016 and it's not, not to get like, yeah, hold on everybody. It's going to get dark again for a second. Cause that show cruxes around the fact that somebody, uh, drowns a baby, um, oh, is the sort of oh, hidden no. tragedy of that show. Yeah. Oh, so God. like, yeah, but you see what I'm saying? Like it's a Broadway musical It's not what you sort of expect from that kind of thing. And yeah. especially not from Steve Martin. Like, I think nobody was ready for that from Steve Martin, especially. No. But so, like, this is, but this is like that to me. This is like, these are musicals taking on weighty subjects. Yeah. yeah. And I can't imagine that's an easy thing to do. You kind of have to be, there's a certain amount of arrogance you have to have, I think, to be like, I can do this and I can do it well. <laughs> And I think Jason Robert Brown is the perfect synergy, a young Jason Robert Brown. Yeah. Is the yeah. perfect synergy of arrogance and talent. Because he really, <laughs> he really could do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. he was not old enough or experienced enough to realize that he he maybe couldn't do it. You know, like he didn't have any doubt about it. He's like, no, I can I can totally do this. This is fine. You know, and he's off. And then anyone, I mean, obviously score one a Tony, you know, it, it but it didn't, it wasn't exactly what I would call a hit in New York. And it it right. did win some Tonys, but didn't win uh, Best Musical. That honor went to, it was a bad year for the Tonys. Went to Fosse, which yeah. is a show I enjoy, but is not, you know, yeah. even close. Uh, right. So, yeah, it's just weighty. And I'm really, I'm like, I'm really stuck on this image, Sophie, of you like staring wistfully out of the, st- at the st- <laughs> with like a cognac, like listening to this show like what did you find in this show that really like got you through the long winters oh god i i mean catharsis you know like this is the whole show well i'm jewish one mm-hmm. number one sure. so there's there's the jewish um connection and then there's also just alienation and being misunderstood mm. being misunderstood and i have to say until about a year ago no under a year ago i had never listened to what is it the donmer warehouse oh yeah mm-hmm. i my, mind blown yeah totally mind blown because my perception of leo and who he was very different mm. and 
So that, but, but yeah, but alienation, I think alienation and the, the sense of alienation is just so um, deep. And I, and I love the music. I mean, this, mm-hmm. this weeping scope of, of all of those songs is so incredible. And it's so also like being, you, you already outed me as a dancer. So I'll say it's that. on your website. I didn't out you. It's in your bio on your website. I'm looking at that's, it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it just had like I think I never really got to get into directing. I've like done little teeny teeny tiny amounts of uh choreography for for a friend's um sort of performance piece, but in my head I'm constantly staging and choreographing musicals. So there's mm. something also about the largeness of parade that um being alone in winter was really enjoyable to stage and choreograph mm-hmm. in my head because there's so much of it and it's not like um I don't I don't know there's something about the trial as well that was really interesting to choreograph in my head and yeah it, it is a lot I mean you're, you're you're not wrong this this show covers a lot of ground there's a lot of scenes there's a lot of big scenes yeah. and there's a lot of different kinds of scenes I mean it has that great device of a moment that I really enjoy and kind of admire um, is the uh, come up to my office sequence during the trial oh. where Leo gets to perform as they, the prosecution is painting him. He, he, they, oh, the, the actor in this case, Brent Carver gets to come out and like do the, the, the lecherous sort of thing that they're trying to paint him as. And it is a, you know, haunting and dark, but also interesting from a staging standpoint. Second. Yeah. Why don't you come up to my office? Got a bottle of wine and the cork ain't pop. Why don't you come up to my office where it's nice and cool and the blinds are dropped? If you could maybe swing by, honey, we'll pretend that that old clock has stopped. If you came, if you came, if you came, if you came to my office. I know this new dancer they're doing in Manhattan. I'll get you dancing like you've never done before. And I'll give you things that they sent me from Manhattan. And if you like, well, I got more. Hell, I got more. And that is my, that, those moments, the factory girls and come up to my office, is my absolute favorite part of the whole musical. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Like, in terms of, both the music and the staging potentials in my head. There's always like a very sort of like slow spring awakening ish choreography happening with the girls. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think it's, it's just, it's just so terrifying. Music, the music is so gorgeous. And the moment where there's a transition from the chorus of the girls singing into Leo beginning to sing again it's it's just or rather from him singing into the girls uh it it is just um it's killer your heart just drops every single time I listen to it I feel Mm -hmm. like the inevitability of that moment is just so um deep and terrifying and gorgeous and I love it it is a show that like is constantly also pulling the rug out from underneath you yeah. Right when you get comfortable, which is important, <laughs> but it's like 
uh, something I, I've, th- I've thought about in subsequent listenings is how important that is, because that's how the show is going to end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. going to seem like everything is, I mean, not fine, but on its way to maybe possibly somehow being okay. And then he's killed. And yeah. it is just, that is it. It is not going to, it's never going to be okay. My child will be safe in the arms of the Lord. And this pure is the day of her birth. It's just so devastating. I mean, his like the and his and his alienation as a as a Jewish man is set up like right at the top, and it's set up right at the top by him in this like funny moment of him being these like the Jews are. I thought Jews were Jews. Yeah, I was wrong. These men belong in zoos. It's like they've never joined civilization. The Jews are not like Jews. I thought the Jews were Jews, but I was wrong. I thought I would be fine. But four years down the line, with every word, it's very clear I don't belong. I don't cuss, I don't draw, so how can I call this home? You know what's so funny, too, about um, Jason R. Brown's, like, Jewish dudes is uh-huh. that they're all like so they're also deeply flawed and sure. you know jamie in last five years is kind of terrible evan i mean he's 13 and 13 but you know he's he's kind of a mess as well uh-huh. <laughs> but and and leo is just so um he's so he's just so tragic he's so tragic for and and because he's falling into like he falls so deeply into that whole like cartoonish anti-Semitic stereotype of Jews being greedy and brutal in business because he is in real life, mm-hmm. like the superintendent of the pencil factory and in charge of giving the girls her pay- their pay. And like, it all gets so conflated with, you know, I mean, right in that opening argument, that Dorsey gives and in the closing argument it's all about money it's all about the factories and it like conflates Leo's like Jewish identity with the industrialization of all of Atlanta and it's like how can he how can he win yeah the whole like society of Atlanta who is like justly upset about the end of you know, their sort of more agrarian life turned Mm -hmm. into horrible industry, but he just can't like, there's, there's no, there's no out 
for him. Once I think once Dorsey is, especially when he conflates Leo with industrialization, it's all so political. It's all just like, I, I mean, everything that happens, I, I mean, all of like the, the sort of grooming of the factory girls mm-hmm. is so just, is, is so political. Yeah. Um, and it's part of what makes the musical so compelling and, and again tragic in its like evergreenness mm-hmm. <clears throat> um is just the the sort of the corruption and public opinion and how much media can sway uh you know a, a trial as well and i think it's so important to like i i i actually when i was like listening to this more and more after you'd asked if i would come and talk and i was like ooh parade had to like I'm a shameless tweeter. So I tweeted at Jason Robert Brown and was like, did you like write the, like, you know, the opening number? Was that the opening? And he was like, yes, it was always the opening. And I was like, Ooh, he tweeted me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it really is. It sets up so amazingly. Cause I was kind of like, Oh, did you know, wondered if he knew right off the bat, how important it was going to be to like, set up Atlanta as a character mm-hmm. and then place Lucille and Leo as like alien in that, in that world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's just, I, I love that it opens with the old red Hills home. It's so, it's just so smart to establish like, you know, it's not establishing like the Southerners as bad. It's establishing them as, people who are hopeful, who had a certain way of life, who still believe in a certain way of life, who have a kind of pride that's been broken um, by just like in the wake of the civil war. And it's done just so well. <laughs> opening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. I know we're here to talk about the rich. I was like horrified and amazed with the changes in the, in the, in the, in the um, production. Mm-hmm. Yes because there's just so many there's so many things that are different like i really appreciate in the original broadway cast about how Britt craig as the you know is the sort of media lead sensationalizer mm-hmm. and and i think part of part of my like attachment to him too though as a listener is that as i'm a listener like i stage it so I'm, I'm attached to my staging. <laughs> sure. like I want to have the opportunity for him to be, because, you know, he is such uh, weirdly, the way that he weaves throughout um, the narrative in the original, you know, mm-hmm. in the show is so interesting. And he goes on such a, his, a little journey of his own. I understand that he doesn't really show up a lot in that too. And that that's why they got rid of him. La, la, la. But yeah, just, yeah. You know, I understand why he was, um, you know, uh, taken, taken down a notch and why those songs were, right. you know, exited. But I yeah. really appreciated that they appear. Well, because it is the, that's the terrible, like modern practicality of musical theater. We're like, again, like, as I say, like this wouldn't have been out of place in the fifties with with the title, not the subject matter with, uh, with George Abbott and and Gwen Verdon. It is conceived and directed by Hal Prince, who is the king of old school Broadway showmanship. And I think that 
his methodology and also written, I mean, a book by Alfred Urey, who won Pulitzer Prize for Driving Miss Daisy, however you feel about that show. Uh, he is, you know, th- these are guys who are from an, an older Broadway production kind of sentimentality. So this thing has a huge cast, has a huge like number of speaking roles, named parts, no doubling uh, or okay. very little. And it is like, it's a big show. And like you said, like, I mean, because... <laughs> You have like in, in the original production uh, is Mary Fagan. You have Christy Carlson Romano, soon to be of Even Stevens on on the Disney Channel after this uh, closed. <laughs> <Really? laughs> who is it? Who is like? And it's a big part. Like Mary Fagan has yeah. the only like actually happy song in the show, which is the picture show, uh, which lulls you into another terrible false sense of security. Yeah. <laughs> Sunshine. Sunshine. Looks like rain to me. Not in here, it don't. <gasps> Frankie Epps, quit that. You oh, what? I ain't doing anything. I'm gonna go to the picture show. There's a movie I got to see. You know the one called The Silver Gun? Well, I've been watching since chapter three. I can't wait. It's at eight. But I was wondering if you're free. Well, when do you turn 16? Two years from next June. Too bad about your mama. <laughs> Too bad for you. But then yeah. she's, you know, and then she dies. And then she comes back in a flashback. And that's kind of it. And you, But you still need to cast somebody who's really good. Because those two, A, we need to love her. But B, those two songs aren't easy. So. Yeah. What are you going to do? You can't just bring out, you know, Annie's third understudy. This has to be a real, you know, show carrying person, which is who Christy Carlson Romano is. And like, so again, it's a hard show to cast on top of everything else. Yeah, yeah. Got tremendously difficult parts in it. It really is. And I was so, you know, one thing that I was so surprised about when I was sort of looking more into um, like the actuality of who Leo Frank was, I didn't know how young he was. Yeah. I had- no idea because i mean brent he was 31 Carver, when he died yeah that's mm-hmm. that's bananas so what he's convicted when he's 29 so something like that i think 28 or 29 yeah who feels like a couple years younger than him in my head because it's brent carver singing right he's like a 40 something year old man right and that is the fact that's not true at, at was not true at all i mean you know and broadway does this and you know uh, like Adina Menzel is sure. not in high school. Sure. Who's Chris and Chenoweth? Yeah, right. That's fine, <laughs> but there's, there's just something I would be so, yeah, casting wise, um, you know, making that, having, and even having the girls be younger. Um, on the well, th- there is a kind of, you end into, you drift into can't be produced because it's all kids kind of territory almost because the girls are 13. Yeah. And well, he's t- 31. Like everybody skews young in the real story, but you can't have a chorus full of 13 year old girls who sing again, two songs. Like you can't <laughs> do that. So they have to be Broadway young, which is yeah, yeah. 20 or passable as like <laughs> mid twenties. So then Leo has to skew up to 40 to make right. the relative age make sense. Um, Harry Butler is playing all the girls. <laughs> that would, there you go. That works. 
we'll have a big show. We'll have a show like when they cast Annie or something, you know, with a tele- <laughs> you know, casting parade. It'll be oh. horrifyingly depressing. Uh, but I, I have to say, did you watch? So did you watch the parade, parade in concert with Jeremy Jordan? And Laura no, I, I did not actually. No, I had lots of feelings about it. <laughs> I imagine because, you would. Yeah, I, because I, uh, I won't go on this tangent long. I love Jeremy Jordan. I love his voice. I want to hear him sing everything every day. However, as Leo Frank, I just don't believe how he looks. That's a problem. Yeah. They cast him more in Little Rock in Little Shop too. And I was like, but 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 look at him. Yeah. (laughs) It's that there is a real, but that's who's out there. I know. And this started. Uh, like a long t- like uh, when we were in college i think which was almost at the same time you are younger than me but it was like almost o- certainly overlapping and I, but I, this is when this like th- this idea this cookie cutter sort of transplant you've got to be yeah a, not only a triple threat which is when i went into college that was the sort of thing like you got to be like that's what you got to be I'm like, oh, okay yeah. well that sounds like something i can't do but maybe you can <laughs> learn to do you know like i'm still like okay but you've also got to have you know a six pack and great hair and a good <laughs> smile and a whole like and a thing and it's like well then everybody looks like jeremy jordan and that's fine you know but that's not like some of these parts are like you say, when you see somebody that attractive up on stage, it does, who, especially when they're Seymour, like, man, they better be good actors because you're just not going to buy it. You're just, <laughs> yeah. And there's some parts that live in the liminal space. There's but like how to succeed. You can put somebody, you know, very attractive in that part, maybe. And it'd be like, okay, well, they're kind of young. So that's the bit of it. But like, yeah. there are show, like, like you say, Parade is about, uh, like, one of the reasons that Brent Carver is great casting is because that Leo is a very old soul in the sort of yeah. sense and a very isolated figure. And Brent Carver does that really well. I mean, he won a Tony for it in, in Kiss the Spider Woman. Yeah. And he's really, really good at that particular style. Yeah. Um, yeah. And reality. Yeah. And, and where you sort of like, you just wish he would like stand up straighter is always sort of, you're just like, I just wish you'd try a little harder. You'd be great. You know what I mean? But he, he's not that, you know, and he's never going to be. And it's part of his problem in Marietta is that he's, he's not, he's not what they want him to be. Yeah. He looks like, and that's this other thing, the way that he looks. And I know that there's more, I don't know if they cut it out of the, Broadway cast recording or if it's in there and they're just in the recorder or what but I know in the Donner they have like a whole thing about how he looks um yeah. a whole song about how he looks and how he can, you can see it on him and smell it on him and how he's this murderer you know who I do want to cast not age appropriate but Christian Borrell really badly mm-hmm. sure I think he'd be yeah. great a young a younger Christian Borrell <laughs> a young Christian Borrell and uh Jesse Mueller Oh, there you go. Okay. That works. I like that. And Andrew Reynolds is Britt Craig. I've cast this. Wow. You really thought about this. Okay. (laughs) Staring at the snow for like three months in Western Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. I've got the cast. So why not? Why not Bridges in Madison County? Oh, that's cast too. (laughs) Why? Why did you pick Parade over Bridges in Madison County of those two shows? Well, I think, I mean, there's something about there. I mean, I think I, I, I think in part I am very attached to it 
because of being Jewish. Mm. And Alfred Urey is Jewish. Jason Robert Brown is Jewish. And I think there's just something, there's not a lot of like, okay, fiddler on the roof, but there's just not a ton of musicals that sort of address it in this particular way. I mean, mm-hmm. you have, you have a, you know, falsettos is a very Jewish musical, mm-hmm. but there's just something about, um, there's something about this. I think, well, so there's, so there's the anti-Semitism that that's happening. There's a stereotype that's happening, but as a Jewish person, I'm just always hit with this, with the final moment where he sings the Shema mm-hmm. because the Shema is this like centerpiece of Jewish life. You say it in the morning, you say it at not the night and Yom Kippur. Um, and there's just something immense because so the first, the first line of it that he sings is like, you know, he, he sings this first line um, in sort of a way that one might say it, I guess, any, not any, not obviously not any day. He sounds scared in the recording. Mm-hmm. But this second line, um, mm-hmm. is like typically whispered, it's traditionally whispered. Mm-hmm. So for him, the way that Brent Carver sings it at this last moment, I mean, his it gets louder and louder and louder. And there's just some sort of like chill and vibration that happens for me listening to that, which makes like I immediately want to go back and listen to the whole thing again mm. um, because of that moment, because of like that breaking point about this prayer that's this moment that's usually whispered being sung louder and louder and louder. Like, Oh, it's just, Oh, it's devastating. And it's so smart. It's so, so smart as well. Marcus Leolam So how did you go from dancing to poetry? <laughs> if I may ask. Obviously it wasn't like one step. You weren't like, well, dancing didn't work out, so I guess I'm gonna pick, try that poetry thing I've been trying. <laughs> Just one step. Just one step. Um, there you go. <laughs> I bonus well, points for staying on the composer. Very nice. Yeah, done. yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Very gosh. nicely done. You did. <laughs> um. Well, I I always wrote in my in my little journal under my you know to myself under my bed whatever I had a really literary household, um, growing up. But I also had a very musical household. My dad, you can hear him singing everywhere, singing something. Um, everywhere in the house. So with kind of, and I I think just having this weird dichotomy of it being like literature, being, being, it being encouraged to be like a bookworm and then also being very like encouraged to be a dancer. Um, I danced like in this sort of little professional, not little, the the Pistol Valley Theater um, professional from when I was young but then I think age 12 was told by the professional head of the school that I was too fat which I was like okay 
that won't screw with my body image ever again. No problem. Sure. <laughs> uh, and then went to the um, uh, an academy for musical theater uh, in downtown Pittsburgh, which was amazing and did all, you know, all honed all those triple threat skills. But I just always was a big, uh, a big reader and wrote, wrote on my own privately for for all time <laughs> but then so I guess um I I was a horrible student horrible in high school okay and, so, and I applied to all these colleges for musical theater and they kept saying like you got into our department like <laughs> right you but you didn't get into the school our school <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> So, um, and Syracuse let me in and they were like, here's the deal. You can come to our school. You just have to be perfect in all of your classes. And I was like, no problem. <laughs> well, what else are you going to say? <laughs> no, no pressure. No yeah, pressure. right. Of course. You know, but the whole, the whole time I was still writing. And um, I think just sort of. Should I tell my sob story now? Sure. <laughs> my heart got broken. <laughs> so I did a year of, um, I did a year of musical theater of like being a, you know, what a musical theater major at Syracuse with a, amazing, amazing people who I adore and look up to. Um, and now I'm a fan. I'm a fan of. And I like slowly got it through my head that I feel very lucky in that I think I had um, a self-awareness that some people don't get, Mm -hmm. which is that I knew just how talented I was and it was not enough to do what I wanted to do. So like, you know, could have maybe been in the chorus of a regional theater once every couple of years or something like that like it wasn't horrible and I was a good dancer but the but the pressure was really a, a lot so there was there was that that I knew how talented I was um and then I also could not leave it quote unquote leave it in the room <laughs> as they as they say I just took on whatever piece we were working on I was like living a method acting life against my will and it was just kind of horrible. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I was, I was released from, um, from that by a very kind teacher, Craig McDonald, who was wonderful, who actually took me aside one day after I'd been particularly upset in an acting class and was like, I don't tell people this, but you do not have to do this. And Mm. I was like, Oh, okay. So, okay. So uh, maybe I, maybe I won't, um, but I was still kind of on the fence. And then the final, but the nail in the coffin was that I had a, a, a teacher, another teacher who I will not name, but who everybody who went to Syracuse university <laughs> will know who I'm talking about, um, who really encouraged me, who was like, brought me into her office and was like, you have to stop being Sophie. You have to be Sophia because I'm 5'11", I'm like not the smallest person in the world. She was like, you have to stop being like gangly, goofy, weird, sometimes sexy, silly Sophie. You have to be 
Sophia, because you're not going to get, because you're going to get cast as the sultry secretary, but not in any other role, basically, was what she was trying to say to me. So there was like this sort of mm, being told that I had to look and act and present myself in a certain way did not sit well with me. And I can't imagine why. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it just, it was just really, it was just really painful. So I, I did, I told my parents I was leaving, but then refused to leave until I did this crazy, like Halloween show of Rocky horror. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's good. One last hurrah at sure. school, you know, sure. college, Rocky Horror, if you can imagine. Um, and then I was, and then my musical theater life was, was essentially over. <laughs> well, you know, until today. Yeah. Right? Until today. Well, <laughs> I went back to dancing some years later. I mean, I then actually, I think I took, I took some time and then I went to Emerson for writing and so I got to write a little bit for um like a dance company there like create some monologues for them and then uh Josh Young who went to Syracuse of like Jesus Christ superstar fame mm-hmm. um came through on tour I think he was playing Marius and Les Mis and mm-hmm. something about seeing him I was like oh my 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 heart is becoming unbroken and now I am becoming a rabid fan of musical theater even mm. though I'm not on stage anymore. Right. Well, that's hard. That's not, you know, not to be understated. That is very difficult to have your heart broken by something and then go back to it in any capacity, you know, yeah. especially when you have to watch other people do it. <laughs> like, it's not, that's not yeah. easy. I mean, it was just such, I'm in like, in my adult years, it's been such a joy to see where those people at, at Syracuse have gone. Like, mm-hmm. I think when I was when I was a freshman, Patty Muren was like a senior. Actually, they did. She was in Songs for a New World. I just remember there were just so many people who who were lovely. And now I sort of see them on Facebook and mm-hmm. world and whatever. And I'm so happy for their successes. And I feel inordinately proud of them not inordinately they were hard they're hardworking people i mean it's mm. incredibly hard to be a musical theater triple threat for sure so yeah I, I mean you've sort of summarized a lot of things i've pontificated about on the show about how much i hate arts education uh you've sort of which is why i think one of the reasons i think it's important to to tell to tell stories like that because it's obviously bad you know what i mean <laughs> but like but there is a a large contingent of people who would say no that's what you do like that's how you do it we we are presenting you know whatever blah 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 but we are beating the individualism out of performers left right and center yeah yeah and the danger of that to me especially in musical theater is this sort of like one of the things about specifically music theater fans, music theater kids, music theater actors is we desperately want to be part of the community. Yeah. And we will kind of do whatever when we're <laughs> young to be a part of the community, you know, and we've all done the thing as teenagers where you show up and you hang out with the group and you start dressing like people and you get the haircuts <laughs> or whatever. Like That's all fine. Like that's all normal. I think, you know, adjusted teenage, yeah. even college behavior. But yeah. then what makes Broadway stars, what makes Jeremy Jordan 
better than all the other people who look just like Jeremy Jordan <laughs> and sound like Jeremy Jordan is that extra little bit of himself that he puts on the stage. He's a very charismatic human being. Yeah. And so you are drawn to him when he's on the stage. That's him. That's his personality. And I'm not saying his training doesn't enhance that, right, but right. it is, it's not the, you know, it's not the, all, so, as all the people who went to Ithaca who, who are on this, sh- have been on this show and listened to it or yelling at the, at the mirror right now. Um, but like, it, it's his individualism. It's Patty Murin's individualism. It's that thing that makes them stars. It's like, you know, yeah. that's the thing that makes them extra. And when you beat that out of people, you, you ruin them. Yeah, yeah. You, you cast them in a mold that they will then spend the rest of their lives internally straining against and externally bemoaning everyone who doesn't fit into it. It's like the debates we see online about whether or not Lin-Manuel Miranda can sing. Oh. And, yeah. you know, I mean, he's got a whole generation of people who, like, can't wait to beat him up online. And I don't understand <laughs> what that's all about, but I'm not going to get into that today. But it's the thing of, like... You know, it's it's all the people who go online and are like, ooh, pitchy, you know, and stuff like that. It's like, hey, gang, yeah. like that's not what it's all about. <laughs> you know, um, think about like give me a break with the like think about freaking I was gonna I'm just gonna swear. Think about like Glynis Johns in a little right. night music. Yeah. Give me a break. I I mean, I also really like to think that if I had gone to school in if I were, you know, an 18-year-old in a theater program today and hadn't been in 2001 mm-hmm. then it would have been I, I I like to believe that it would be a different environment and I wouldn't be told no oh you're shaking your head it's now. worse it's worse oh. now than it was before oh yeah, no I it's 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 much it. much much worse it is oh. it, it, it has really gotten to be because they're getting it earlier like uh. this is what kids are getting in junior high now Oh, like God. forget like it's not it's not like you suddenly get like when when we were in school when you got to college that's like if you took lessons or you had went to a go- high school with a good performing arts program or you did some professional shows you maybe got a taste of it but it mm-hmm. wasn't until you got to school that you really got the business you know what i mean like with both barrels yeah. and now kids get it you know they're doing conservatory programs at 10 you know everybody wants to be matilda and it's just <laughs> horrifying and i spend a very like an inordinate amount of time when i am asked to speak to students talking about the fact that it's nonsense like it's absolute nonsense and i'm you know i'm tilting at windmills i understand that but like (laughs) there is but somebody's got to we're crying out loud because you're you're spending a lot of money and time and going into debt Mm -hmm. to learn how not to be yourself and i understand that sounds weird talking about acting but acting yeah. is not just learning how to not be yourself. Right. You know, there's so much more to it. And there's so much more to music theater performing because that's what it is. It's performance. You are live in front of people all the time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you got to have more than just talent and skill to get through that. You got to have stamina. You got to have all kinds and you got to have desire. You know yeah. what I mean? What yeah. you said about self-awareness is really interesting because I think that Performers who have too much self-awareness like you and me end up being writers <laughs> because too much self-aware self-awareness for a performer is very, very necessary. You have to know how you present, 
Yeah, yeah. But you also have to have a little ignorance about how you present, I feel like. <laughs> Again, it goes back to what I was saying about the arrogance of JRB writing. Like, you have to have a little bit of like, because you know, I mean, as much as I, as anybody, you have to have a certain amount of arrogance to be a creative person, to write a piece of poetry and be like, you should yeah. read this. I like to say it's delusion. Sure. Delusion works, whatever you want to call it. You have to have a certain amount of like, what I have created is worth your time and money. You know, when yeah. you get to a certain point in your life, like it's also yeah. worth the money. Please give me the yeah. money. Um, <laughs> you have to have a little bit of that, but like, uh, so like the self-awareness can really make you as it did to me sort of in late in my performing, like only career was like, this is weird what we're doing. Like, does anyone else not see how weird this is? Like, this is Okay, no, fine. Just me. All right, fine. Never mind. We'll get back to it. And I think eventually you kind of, like you say, you turn very introspective and end up writing a lot of these thoughts down. And then the next yeah. thing you know, that's what you do. Yeah. I mean, I think you can, you can kind of psych, you can definitely psych yourself out of any business. I mean, I oh, hear writers yeah. all the time talk about writer's block. And I'm like, I, that doesn't exist for me because I don't think when I'm not writing, I don't think. I should be writing because I'm doing something else. Mm -hmm. And if I don't feel in that moment, if I'm like working on a, you know, working on a poem and I don't have the little shimmery, like itch in the back of my head, then I'm like, all right, I'm going to go, you know, eat an apple and take a walk or play with the cat, whatever. So, but if I forced it, then I would start to come up with the phenomenon of, writer's block but it's only a block if i stare at the thing <laughs> and, I and i choose not to that's so. really interesting because like i i, I think that's a, a big difference between what you write and what i write when you write plays or drama i am mm. often working on some kind of like of deadline yeah to finish what needs to be finished because like somebody's waiting to read it you know, yeah. there's a, or worse, we're rehearsing and like, we need this tomorrow. And so <laughs> when you do something like that, that is a collaborative form of writing, right. you have to have the mech, you have to have the, the ability to write it when you don't feel it. You have to, because you, you gotta, you gotta write like that's the gem. Whereas like a novelist poet, like people who are writing much more, not that you don't ever have deadlines, not that you don't have editors, but I think you would like that it, the creation aspect is a lot more solitary. Oh yeah. It's and way, way more solitary. Yeah. That you can, you, you, you have the, I, I like that advice. If you're writing on something like that, of just being like, just don't force it. Like just do it, do it when you want to do it. Yeah. And you know, if you're somebody who works for deadlines, set deadlines, but don't like, I don't beat yourself up about it because like you said, if you do that, if you start to like get to that the cycle of doubt, yeah, the writing will stop. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. stop flowing. And it's just not worth it. I know a lot of young poets fall into this thing of like, I, you know, I have to publish, I have to publish. And it's like, no, you don't have to publish. Art, like if you are happy with what you are writing and you feel good about it and you want to put it out into the world, do that. If you feel good about what you're writing and you and you don't want anyone to see it, that doesn't make you less of a poet. I mean, I don't think, and same same thing with like, you know, if you enjoy dancing and you feel like you want to get on stage and do that in front of a lot of people, good. It doesn't make you a, a better verse dancer than the same person who is dancing for, for pleasure with just as much skill and technique in their, in their living room or whatever. Sure. It, it's been, you know, it's so funny. I did go, my sort of like love of the 
theater started like really getting strong again when I went back into dancing, when I went back into dance classes, but I had to totally re-enter it from uh, like sideways. I had to take classes in, in like modes that I had never done before. Like I started doing African dance and then did like this horrible chair dancing, which is really hard being tall and then like, hip hop and, you know, and then slowly, slowly made my way back into like modern and ballet, which I'm like very happy in now, but I couldn't go right back to like the, you know, the dance sort of forms of my childhood after I had my sort of departure from sure. the musical theater world. So why poetry? Mm. I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> I love that answer. I absolutely love that answer. Did you try uh, other things? Mm. Or was poetry just the well, like you started and then you just never stopped? I think it's what I started and never stopped. I don't like writing uh, fiction doesn't seem real to me. Like I just mm -hmm. don't, I, I, I feel like I have a very hard time writing a short story or novel in the, unless that person's experience is very, very, very close to mine. Actually, I am having like a collaborative book with a friend being published next year that the press took it as fiction, but that's, that's a whole other story. Hmm. Okay. I mean, a whole other story, but, but yeah, um, I don't think I have any other, uh, I, I'm not really good at anything else. And it's very related to being, um, to, to being musical and to having mm -hmm. a, like, to having a life as a singer, um, to having a fam, to having a, to having a house that was full of song and poetry when I was growing up, because to have constant rhythm in your head, it's like, I can appreciate, uh, you know, that sort of, uh, the comma after dearest, sexting mm. of, of, of of Hamilton. Sure. There's a lot of there, there's just something about having having a sense of breath. And that's a really good example, actually, like that that punctuation matters, that line breaks matters, that they tell you where to breathe, that gestures on a page tell you where to breathe. Like as a dancer, that all makes a lot of sense to me too, because where a poem moves on a page visually, it also is, you know, how a dancer moves in space, um, how a dancer breathes in space. And so I'm getting into a very like heady kind of answer. No, I like that. I like that. <laughs> but, but yeah, there's, there's just something about, I think there's something about the, the connection for me intuitively between um, being a dancer and really having to pay attention to minuscule motions Mm -hmm. of your body as well as larger gestures as like what muscles are you working how are they working together that translates linguistically onto the page for me um that's as i, I think that's as much of an explanation as I can. that's the answer today that's fine well that's and that, and that is the truth that is the right now this is what if you ask me tomorrow it'll be it'll be probably be different um do you write the I don't want to give too deep into like, how do you write and what do you do? Because it's not, those questions always bore the crap out of me, but I do want to ask for poetry specifically. Do you write out loud? Mm, yes. Okay. 
I do. I do. I write a lot. I write a lot in form. I write a lot in sonnets uh, mm. because, well, you know, Shakespeare. Shakespeare, what? right. <laughs> what a piece of work is man. Yeah. I, I think actually that's a good connection. The um, I remember seeing hair when I was really young, too young, too young to sure. see hair sure. uh, at, at Carnegie Mellon, actually. Um, incredible. I'll never forget it. But having the way that they worked that Hamlet monologue into hair, that mm-hmm. kind of moment, I think like pinged off something in my head about the intersection of poetry and theater um, and still like really lives there for me. So being able to also, I, there's just something about like being able to recite work matters mm-hmm. to me, making work memorable matters to me. And if it doesn't sound right, if I'm writing something and it doesn't sound right in the air, then it's going to be clunky on the page. It's not going to sing on the page either, which is what I want it to do or hiccup or stutter or, Mm -hmm. you know, get choked up. So, but if I'm not vocalizing that out loud, then I don't know what is happening on the page. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I think like poetry to me is, is that it's best when it is recited or read. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it is the sort of like balancing act between like the, like literature and performance mm. where it, cause it exists. It can exist equally in both forms. When you look at a poem yeah. for length, like you say, punctuation, capitalization, whatever structure, how people like structure the stanzas yeah. um, it has, that is one aspect of the art, but then there is also the recitation of it and like you say it always felt to me like something that should be read out loud like it should just always be read out loud <laughs> and it it's but it should you know it and so it, it fast what fascinates me about it is that dichotomy that it exists in both in both worlds i mean you yeah. can read a play all day long but it's not yeah. meant to be read it's meant to be performed and so like that's a different thing yeah, um yeah. And I think poetry existing, like you say, in both spaces, in the written and in the performance and in the personal and in the private, but also in the public yeah, equally yeah. well. And it, it is a fascinating art form for that. I me. mean, it's part of why it, it's part of why my, you know, why kids 10 and under can rap all of Hamilton mm-hmm. front to back, because it's poetry in a totally different way than I mean, I, you know, when I teach, when I teach um, meter sometimes in classes, I bring in raps. I'll bring in like Lizzo or Eminem mm-hmm. or someone really random. Um, in one of my classes, I brought in Benny's Dispatch for, nice. <laughs> for talking about um, how rhythm changes and or how to scan meter and how the meter in that sort of swerves and weaves like the taxis are meant to be swerving and weaving in that dispatch. And it really, really does. I think rap is the best. Rap is such a good tool for teaching. I cannot get over that music exits the classroom at a certain point in, you know, an elementary school or whatever. I think by the time that you're like in fifth grade, no one is teaching you songs anymore to remember stuff. Right. Really should. I mean, (laughs) Hamilton just proved it. Like, Mm -hmm. inarguably just just proved it but yeah I mean 
the, like it, it, it just makes me so crazy. I can still recite raps that I learned about the rainforest in like, you know, when I was nine. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're little poems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's also I mean, it's funny that you, you bring that up i hadn't thought about that but it's like we teach we do teach going up into high school and even into college we teach mnemonics we teach yeah. you know please excuse my dear aunt sally we teach you know first outer inner last with foil that's what that is um uh, you know these things are stuck in my head i haven't used them in god knows how long and they work we teach them because they work and whenever i work with my son on studying for a test or studying for a quiz where he's got a name, like what are the four whatevers, you know, list them all. I try to find a rhythmic pattern for him to remember them in. So it's yeah. not just like the order that the teacher put them in. I was like, now if we rule them this way, they have kind of a groove and you'll remember, you'll remember you've forgotten one. It'll, it'll hiccup a little bit for you. So yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a very important, that's a really important skill. I mean, it's, it's shocking. Like, yeah, I can name all the 50 states alphabetically because I was given a song to do mm-hmm. that. Why was I not given a song in biology? <laughs> I would have done so much better, like for my entire, the rest of school career. Um, <laughs> well, hang on. I think you might be putting a little too much weight on, on the music, uh, musical okay. poetry entry, but, you know, from one terrible student to another, I, I think, you know, there's a threshold probably. Uh that's well, heart. I think you already told me what your favorite song was. Am I right? Is it? Is it uh, come up to my office? Yes. Is it, that it? It's it's the it's. I mean, I think it's the factory. It's come up to my office, but it's also so specifically the factory like, girls intro. It's the it's the factory girls. It's it is the factory girls intro, really specifically, and then also that moment of when it transitions from him singing into them singing and then as you said that cacophony mm-hmm. is just like i think gold musical theater gold it doesn't get any any better i think there that's so great that's such a great <laughs> response to that i did not i don't think anyone's ever said that's their favorite song from parade at least not to <laughs> me and i think that's great because i love it i think that's i think that's a really great and i wholeheartedly uh agree sophie this was wonderful Thank you so much for, for doing Where can people find your poetry? You can find my poetry uh, online and my website, sophieclar.org or com. If you just Google me, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very good. I have dot org here. So yes. That's, okay. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds right. Dot okay. org. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have a book coming out next year. Um, that's all about driving and sonnets and listening to the radio. And then another one in the fall, but I can't tell you about that one yet. And Instagram at Sophie and the choices, which is my imaginary girl group. Oh, well, that works. <laughs> yeah. You know, a little dark, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also teach and I, I should make a little plug for my classes. I teach online and I and like really my classes are appropriate for anybody who's interested in poetry. Only curiosity mm. is necessary. Um, I've had, uh, you know, retired social workers and journalists and and all 
people all over the place. My mother tried to take a class. Oh my, how'd that go? And so she, she tried to stay anonymous. It didn't really work. Cause eventually I just like called on her and was like, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and she answered. Yeah, it was, it was great though. Did yeah. This, thank you so much for, I, I mean, any opportunity to talk out loud and not in my head about musical theater, I will jump at the chance. You call my I'll turn my head He got no words to say His eyes get big My face gets red And I want to run away I'll feel his breath Back on my The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for t-shirts, tote bags, magnets, and more. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hey, Bethany. My thanks to Sophie Clark for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Come on! Come up, come up to my. Why don't you come up and come on and come up to my? Why don't you come up and come on and come up to my? Why don't you come up and come on and come up, 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 come up and come up.